and gracious God, open our ears and our minds and our hearts to the word you have for each and every one of us this day. And as I, your servant, stand before you, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. If I had to ask you who the wisest person in this congregation is, who would you guess? Well, come on, Gary. That's the children's sermon answer that always wins. Yes, Jesus Christ. Amen. But aside from that, who would you say is the wisest? Uh, who would you say is the most prophetic? Who's the oldest? We have a lot of those things that we're starting to look at and think, who would we consider the wisest and most prophetic? But I think our scripture today might point to evidence that it's probably Bill Deltuba. <laughs> <laughs> because he's a shepherd, amen? <laughs> now here's an interesting thing to consider. Every religious tradition in the world has shepherds as sages. Those who are tending their flocks of sheep. Every major religious tradition in the world has shepherds. And even the prophet Muhammad in Islam said that you can't be a prophet unless you've been a shepherd. And when we look to our scriptures, when we go to the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find time and time again that the Lord God Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth from the beginning of time, has used those who are shepherds to speak into what he needed his people to know and understand. All the patriarchs were those who tended to flocks. Abraham and Jacob, Moses, David, before he became a king, even the prophet Amos, all of them. So what is it about spending time out with animals that makes you hear the voice of God? What is it about being out in the creation, outside, in the midst of work, where they could be spoken to in a very profound way? And it could be because a shepherd relies upon so much of what God provides to care for the flock. Weather, water, plenty of pasture, all of those things rely on God. Amen? And it is the shepherds who are the first to be visited by the angels when Christ was born. They're out there in their fields. They're guarding their sheep. And the angel comes to them and says, 
Don't be afraid. Look, I'm bringing good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. Now, I want to spend a little time on this pronouncement, this sentence right here, because it is the very crux of all of our faith as Christians. Everything we believe is wrapped up in this one little sentence. Your Savior is born today. He is Christ the Lord. When I had to go through ordination, it's a seven-year process, and at two different intervals, we have written and oral examinations about all sorts of theological things. And one of them is, is a simple question. What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? And you could write paragraphs and paragraphs and pages, and certainly entire books have been written. What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? And as I was driving back and forth to seminary at the time, I thought about that question for hours on end. And when I finally wrote my answer... It was a little short, so much so that the committee that examined me said, you realize your answer was a little bit short. I said, yeah, but it's because I thought about it the most. What matters is that word, those two little letters, is. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, what do we know about that? It's the present tense. It's here and now. And as the angels are speaking to the shepherds out there guarding their flocks by night, as they're hearing this announcement coming from the heavenly host, they have to run and see and look for themselves. And as they're gazing in on this scene that we all know, the Mary and Joseph and the baby in the manger, there's this little child wrapped up snugly. And he is Lord. Is. It doesn't say there in the field that Jesus will be your Lord at a later time. It doesn't say he's just a little baby now, but give him 30 some years and he's going to be your Lord. Jesus is the Savior and Lord. When we think about those as believers, we're very comfortable with having Jesus as our Savior. We want Jesus to be the one who's going to pull us out of our circumstances. We want the promise of the heavenly host that someday in the future, when we are at the end of our earthly lives, Christ will come and receive us and take us to heaven. But we miss the fact that the promise from the time that those angels spoke it was for the here and the now, not just the future. For unto you is born this day. He is Christ the Lord. Recognizing that Jesus is Lord of our lives is a little trickier than Savior. 
We like the idea of a God who will help us in our times of trial and our times of need. We're a little bit less comfortable with the notion of the God who is the Lord of our lives, the one who has to give us guidance when we think we can handle things on our own. We like freedom. We like to do what we want to do. Who's with me on that? But for Christ to not only be our Savior, but also be our Lord, means that everything we do has to fall under the Lordship of Christ. So that means when we take Jesus with us into our homes, and even more specifically today, this week, when we're talking about what it means to have Jesus in our Emmanuel God with us at school and at work, it means that all of those considerations that we have need to be need to be under the lordship of Christ. I remember a particular day. I was kind of thinking about my call and ministry, and there is a very wise gentleman who is a pastor, a retired clergy person in our conference. Um, named Dr. Edison Amos. And Dr. Amos is also, he's very well known because he's the father of a very famous musician named Tori Amos. And so those in my generation are kind of like, wow, he's, he's Tori's dad. She's famous. And I'll never forget this moment where he was talking about the ways God had been at work in his ministry over a course of years. And he had been in ministry for nearly 50 years at this point. And he turned and he looked at me and he said this, don't worry about your career. Jesus will take care of you. And I was like, well, that's a pretty good line. I think about that every single week. I have shared that line with every minister that I've mentored through the clergy process for nearly a decade at this point. And I want you to think about your work life and everything that you do on the job. How would it be different if you really believed and made your decisions based on the fact not to worry about your career, that Jesus will take care of you? How would that, that, how would that change? The struggles that you have, the trials that you're experiencing, the decisions you're trying to make. And it all comes down to that worry part. It doesn't mean we're not supposed to contemplate and listen and discern and think about next steps. What it means is we're not to be concerned about those things because Jesus as Lord of our lives is present in and through everything that we're facing. Because when those shepherds left, they went to see the baby. And they're looking at Christ. And he's there wrapped up, lying in the manger. I want you to think about that scene. The Savior that they have been waiting for for thousands of years, the Lord of heaven and earth, 
is a baby wrapped up snugly and placed in a manger. I want you to consider every baby you have ever seen that is swaddled. Harvey Karp says there are five S's that go to quieting a fussy baby. You know what they are? Like sucking, if they have a binky or something, um, shushing, swinging. I always miss some. Laying them on their side, but the number one is what? Swaddle. Wrapped up in that blanket of content happy, peaceful child, swaddled. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I've gone to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, we know this, John 14. But as we think about Christ leaving those words of peace and comfort at the end of his life, I want you to go back in time to the very beginning of his life. Peace I leave with you. That little baby in the manger wrapped up and swaddled. That's what God wants us to feel for every day of our lives. That peace of a child at rest. That peace of disciples who know that we might not have all the answers and know what's going to happen next and where things are going, but we don't have to fret and worry about it. But we have to trust and follow and listen, just like those shepherds, to not argue about what it means or contemplate if it's true, but to go and see. And then tell all what they had seen. How does that change your work life, your day-to-day -day life, everything <clears throat> that you go through? If Christ is your Savior and your Lord, and he has come to bring us the peace of this child. It tells us at the end of this passage that Mary committed all of these words to memory. And she considered them carefully. She took this promise with her. Because she knew she'd need it. She probably thought about this night when she lost her 12-year-old son in the temple. I'm sure she thought about this promise as she stood there at the base of the cross watching her son die. The promise that Christ is the Lord and our Savior is born today. Even at that darkest moment in her life, she had these words to bring with her. And so as we go out into the world that is rampant with all sorts of hate and violence and sexism and racism and pain and grief. 
everything that we experience that is the antithesis of what God wants for God's people, take these assurances and bring this good news. For unto us is born this day a Savior and a Lord. Glory to God in heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. Amen.